Hey there, and welcome to the United Church Podcast. We are a new church here in Seattle committed to an ethic of love. We are striving to be a people united, united with Jesus, each other, ourselves, and the world around us. We hope you enjoyed this week's homily. Christmas is coming. It's right upon our doorstep. It is right here, right now. And I love that last song that we sang because that phrase, here comes heaven, just continues to be one of those phrases that rattles around in my head over and over and over as we prepare for the beautiful birth of Jesus. As we have sat in anticipation the entirety of this month, waiting and hoping with love, with peace, and now with joy, the coming Savior, the coming Messiah, here comes heaven. It is the most wonderful time of the year. It's the most wonderful time of the year. It's a year full of, a season full of parties, a season full of gifts, a season full of Christmas lights as you walk around of trees and of decorations and of diehard and of cookies. It's the most wonderful time of the year. I remember the Christmas magic that would take place as a kid. There was this one evening, and my parents still give me absolute grief about this, but it's the magic of Christmas. I was probably eight or nine years old, and there we were coming home from my grandpa's house in the car, loaded up on Christmas Eve. We were getting ready to go to bed because it was pretty late. It was about 10, 11 o'clock at night, and I was in one of those like sugar-induced comas as a nine-year-old, right? Like just completely like, like staring straight ahead at me. And my dad goes, Aaron, look, there's Santa Claus. I was like, what? And I looked up, and I could have sworn I saw Santa Claus. I was like, you're right. He's right there. Dad, Mom, Zachary, my little brother, was sitting next to me. He was like, it's Santa Claus. Look, that's Rudolph. It's his little blinking nose. It's going. And there he goes across the sky. I was so excited, so exhilarated by the magic of Christmas. It was years later that my dad just started to laugh at me and said, you realize that wasn't Santa Claus, right? I was like, I know, I know, I know it was a radio tower. The blinking red light was totally Rudolph, though, in my nine-year-old mind. I was so excited, but the magic of Christmas had enveloped me, had wrapped around me because it is the most wonderful time of the year. But not for everyone. It's not the most wonderful time of year for everyone. For some, it is a season of loneliness. It's a season filled with grief, a season of pain, a season of family deaths and separations. This will be the first Christmas in my cousin's life that they will not get to spend it with their mom. She passed away just a few months ago. For some of us, that's our story. We have family members that are not with us this year, that that aren't with us because of death or because of pain and trauma in the family unit. As separation has abounded within our story, as families have drifted apart or pushed apart, there's pain. 
There's mourning. There's grief. Some know families that are separated because of incarceration or, or because of at the border. There are separations that are taking place, and there is not the refrain of it's the most wonderful time of the year sitting in their lives, in their stories. And for many, joy is a struggle during this Christmas season. Joy is a very difficult emotion to conjure up. In fact, there are churches, and, and perhaps someday we'll join in with this chorus of blue Christmases, where churches actually gather together one specific night right before Christmas to mourn together, to grieve together the loss and the pain and the trauma of the year, recognizing that joy is not an easy part of the season for many. And yet joy is a central theme of the Christmas story. Joy is a central theme of the birth of Jesus, of this it's the most wonderful time of year refrain. As we sing, here comes heaven, joy is one of the biggest and most central themes of this season. In Luke chapter 2, we hear the announcement of the angels as they say, glory to God in the highest on peace whom favor rests. Joy is coming into this world. Joy to the world. The Lord has come. They brought glad tidings of great joy, of immeasurable joy, of joy that could not be contained. And yet just a few Short verses before that was Mary's story. Mary's story starts in Luke chapter 1, verse 26. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, now Elizabeth is Mary's aunt or aunt, depending on how you pronounce that word. I know it's a bit controversial for some. But God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of, Jace, of Joseph, or a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And the angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words. Guess what? You're a virgin. You're pregnant. Greatly troubled. <laughs> Greatly troubled. How on earth did that happen? Greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. <laughs> right? Hey, this is awesome. You're pregnant. What? Are, are you serious? Like, this is great news? This is... What are you trying to tell me here? But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be, the great, he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin? 
Such a good question. Such a poignant question. Such a... Yes, Mary gets it, right? How? What? Am I hallucinating? Am I dreaming right here, right now? What exactly is going on? Because I understand the things that are supposed to happen for that to be the reality. And here... That didn't happen for that to be true. What on earth is going on? Now, here's the reality. Mary is a teenager. She's probably 14 to 15 years old. And she just finds out that she's pregnant. But not only that, she's not even married. She's betrothed to a man named Joseph, a man who has already paid for his wife. He's paid the dowry and said, hey, I want you to be my wife. He's made an investment in her and in his future. You see, marriage back then wasn't this thing of love. It was a thing of contract. It was a thing of, I choose you because I think this is going to benefit me and my family. Half the time they were even arranged. It was families that were coming together saying, if we get together... We will have more power in the next generation than we have now. It was all about this contractual status. It had nothing to do with love. And here is Joseph, this dude that is now freaked out, right? Later on in the story, Joseph freaks out because he's got a woman who is supposed to be his wife. And now she's damaged goods to him. She's not fulfilling the contractual bargain that had been there. There's no joy in Bethlehem. There's no joy in Mudville. Come on, Casey at the bat. She's 14, maybe 15 years old. She's married, or she's unmarried, and she's pregnant. And she has this angel appear to her and tell her, and I... I I mean, if, if I'm Mary, I'm not sure I'm going to go run home to mom. Hey, mom, guess what? I'm pregnant. Woohoo! Right? That's not going to be the first thing that she's going to do. She's not going to experience this joy from mom because she's terrified at the connotations of what is going to happen. In fact, because of what is going on with Mary, the fact that she's pregnant, she actually could be killed. The law could have her stoned for breaking such a contract. Like she is in danger. And she's terrified. And in fact, she doesn't run home to say, hey, mom, guess what? I'm pregnant. She hurriedly leaves. In verse, uh, in verse 42, I'm sorry. I got a little ahead of myself. It's in verse 39. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. She fled from her family. She ran away. We don't know how pregnant she was at the moment, but we're pretty sure she probably wasn't showing. Her family had no clue. She hurriedly, after the angel appears to her and talks to her and tells her what's going on, she hurriedly grabs everything that she possibly can and runs off to a different town to spend time with the family that's going to protect her 
the family that's going to care for her, the family that's going to hold her in their arms. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leapt in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, now, you see, when I told my parents that we were having a baby, when, when it, it, we had been married for 10 years, and Tracy's dad, the first words out of his mouth were, I'd given up hope. <laughs> he, he was like, I never thought this was going to happen. He was super excited, but like he was also dumbfounded. When, I, when we made it to my parents' place and we told my parents that Elliot was on the way, she didn't have a name at that time, nor a gender. We had no clue what we had here, just a baby. We had these little gifts packaged up for them, and they opened them up and to kind of announce the birth of a child. And my dad and my brother opened theirs, and they were just kind of like, I don't get it. Because they too had lost hope that there was ever going to be a child. However, my mom, recognizing what was happening, jumped up out of her seat. I have never seen my mom leave the ground. She flew out of the couch. I mean, it was like this acrobatic Cirque du Soleil move as she glided through the air and landed with such grace as she began to do what I can only describe as some sort of crazy lady dance. It's a Price is Right dance. The the, the, the quick move of the feet and the spinning and the screaming. And my dad and my brother looked at her like, what just happened here? They were completely lost at what was happening. My mom was so excited and screamed, yeah, baby! It was so loud, so loud, so loud. This was not the experience that Mary had with her mother. But this is the experience that she had with her aunt, Elizabeth, who exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. Now, Elizabeth's really pregnant at this point. She's like seven months along, right? Like six, seven months along. She's a little bit larger and yet here she is full of all of this energy, dancing around, excited for this baby. Blessed are you among women. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Elizabeth is so excited. She's like, why are you here and not celebrating with your mother? Why are you here? Why have you come to me? Why am I so favored? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. And then Mary sang. Mary's song, The Magnificent. 
Like this beautiful song of my soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. This woman who is terrified, who flees, hurriedly, terrifiedly runs away from her family, from everything, is caught up in a moment of joy, a moment of, sight, of, of excitement. As she feels the tension between grief and mourning and the tension of joy and excitement for this coming baby and for what it was that God was doing in and through her. Because here in this moment, God has not forgotten Mary. God has not forgotten Elizabeth. God has not forgotten the people of Israel. God has not forgotten you or me. In the midst of our great grief, in the midst of our great mourning, in the midst of this season of waiting and of anticipation, God has not forgotten you. You see, Christmas is all about Jesus. That's why we do this thing. And not only Christmas, not only this season, but the church. The church is all about Jesus. We center ourselves around this Christ, this baby that grew to be a man, was dead, buried, and resurrected on our behalf. That's why we celebrate communion every single week. We center ourselves around the story of Jesus. God has not forgotten us. But if you're aware of the way in which Scripture works, there's this place, it's in almost every Bible, at least it used to be in the past, it's changed a little bit as printing costs have gone up and whatnot, but there's this beautiful page, and it, it used to be a completely blank page. Mine just says the New Testament, and then it's blank on the other side. This blank page that took place in between the words of Malachi, the end of the First Testament, the end of the Hebrew Scriptures, and the beginning of the New Testament, the new revelation of God in Christ. This blank page is actually a really fascinating page in Scripture because it symbolizes, if it's blank, it symbolizes 400 years of silence where God laid silent. 400 years. You see, the end of Malachi goes like this. See, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before that great and dreadful day the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of their parents to their children and the hearts of the children to their parents, or else I will come and strike the land with total destruction. It is this foretelling of John the Baptist, of the baby that is in Elizabeth's womb. It's the foretelling of John the Baptist and also the coming of the Messiah and then silence for 400 years. 
And in the midst of those 400 years, different people stood up and said, I am John the Baptist. I am, I am this great prophet Elijah that has come. I am this new Messiah. I'm playing the part of Jesus here. In fact, one of them was actually named Jesus, which is kind of interesting. But there were multiple, multiple messiahs that had raised themselves up to say, I am the Messiah. And yet each and every time they were killed, they were slaughtered, and the revolution that they promised failed. The new kingdom that God had promised did not come to fruition through them. And they sat crying and weeping and wailing. God has forgotten us. There are times in our lives that we feel the same way. We feel like we are stuck in this 400 years of silence, that we inhabit the blank page of Scripture where God is just not speaking to us. God has been completely quiet. God has been completely silent. And we sit in lowly exile, crying and weeping and wailing, where are you, God? But God has not forgotten us because Jesus is here. This moment of anticipation of this season, this month long is a recreation of the blank page of Scripture. An opportunity for us to get to exclaim in joy that this coming Jesus is here, that the things that God promised us are present here and now, and that you and I get to experience this in the world today. God has not forgotten you because in this moment of Mary's great revelation, joy has come. Joy is here. Joy is present. God has not forgotten you. And this is what Christmas is all about. This is the why of Christmas. Jesus we are not a forgotten people. You see, joy happens when both hope and truth live together in this space of hoping for what is to come, that it is here, that it is now, that it is possible, but also that the truth of our reality is held in that tension and possible here. And now this is where joy is met. This is where joy happens is when those two things combine. Joy is possible. Joy is near if we reach out and hold it. If we reach out and hold the Jesus that calls to us and says, I am here. I have not forgotten you. I am present I am with you always, now and until the end of the age. This is why it's the most wonderful time of the year. Joy has come. Jesus has come. And may we experience and walk into that joy more and more as we understand this Jesus and his life, death, burial, and resurrection. Amen. Father, we thank you for your son.
We thank you that joy has come and that it is possible even in the midst of our grief, even in the midst of our darkest days, even in the midst of of our pain and our sorrow and our trauma, but also, Father, in the midst of the most wonderful things of this season. Father, may you continue to remind us of the joy that has come in your Son. May you continue to show us and reveal to us that you have not forgotten us, but that you are here, that you are present, that you are now. Father, we lift this up to you and ask for your grace and your mercy and your peace and your love to be revealed anew here and now. It's in your name that we pray these things. Thank you for listening to this week's homily. If you're in Seattle, we'd love for you to join us on Sundays at noon at 1316 3rd Avenue West in Queen Anne. If you'd like to support our efforts, please visit unitedchurch.gives to partner with us financially. Be in peace and God bless.